You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Well, welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show, uh, live from quarantine. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, editor of the Batuta Advocate, and of course, Errol Parker, editor-at-large, sitting next to me. How are you, Errol? Always good, mate. Always good to get back in the booth with uh, with you, the, uh, the only person in Batuta who apparently doesn't have coronavirus right now yeah you know Batuta Grove is uh you know a popular kind of place for um you know a lot of people who who enjoy going on cruises so that's actually Mm -hmm. um, as a great um detriment to our community but you know we're getting past it only a few active cases left and they're all in quarantine another bloke that's in quarantine uh another proud Queenslander currently based in Brisbane is today's guest uh Jesse the Monster Williams how are you Bala How's doing? Doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah, doing all right. You, uh, you're based back in Brisbane. You've lived all around the states, uh, been around the world. You're currently based in Brisbane, and you're running gyms and and, and consulting, right? Yeah, well, I do a bunch. Yeah, I'm here for a little bit. I'm sort of just chilling. Obviously, quarantine did a good job of uh, stopping old travel for me, which was a disappointing. Yeah. But uh, I do a bunch, man. I do uh, I do a lot of consulting around. I was doing a lot of coaching and stuff, sort of. Stopped doing a lot of that. Lucky enough, good timing before the quarantine stuff started, which yeah. was good. Sort of uh, moved towards some other passions of mine. Obviously, I do a lot of photography, and I've done that for, for many years. Um, so I started doing a bit more of that. And um, it's called Wind with a few people. And yep. the areas that I've been lucky enough to work in throughout Australia and the US, so I'm sort of pushing that a bit more at the moment. And, you know, if it's one thing uh, I think quarantine has done, it's given me a lot of time to focus on things I really want to do. Yep. And, and I guess using that energy and putting it into the things that I think I'm most passionate about. And, you know, if quarantine was going to stay like this for a long period of time, I guess trying to find things that make me happy instead of things that yeah. keep me busy. Now, do you reckon you are the first Thursday Island boy to go to Alabama? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I definitely think I would be. I, uh, I think before I went, I don't know many people from Thursday Island or Indigenous people. Most Australians don't really know anything about Alabama besides the movie with Reese Witherspoon or Forrest Gump yeah. which are great representations especially Forrest Gump yeah. um, but yeah I definitely think I'd be up there at least top three you spent a lot of time in the States I mean obviously you know you ended up uh, making your way to the NFL you know played college football there in Alabama we'll get into how you got into all that late, a bit later in the interview but like you obviously spent so much time there that uh, from such a young age that it kind of affected your accent how how was the culture kind of clash arriving there i mean you spent most of your life in brisbane cannon hill boy yeah it was uh it, it was tough at the start like i'm from like i'm indigenous boy born and raised in brisbane you know i've been through those whole circles like i lived on the south side of brisbane my whole life i think going straight over there at the 17 18 and i was there probably 10 almost 11 years straight mm. i would come back sparingly maybe weeks at a time and i was in places where accent i guess communication barriers had to be jumped somehow yeah um from arizona to alabama to seattle especially like in the south communicating if anyone's ever been to the south um understanding some of the people down there is pretty tough as well as them trying to understand me let alone you know be on the football field and yeah. i have to yell things out and then i got a bunch <laughs> of dudes looking at me like well, i'm speaking spanish <laughs> um, so yeah they definitely you know people always say that i think that's the first thing they say like oh you got an accent i was like yeah i mean if you sort of lived anywhere for like 10 years, yeah, you sort sure. of like have yeah. to. Yeah. Um, I think if you moved to like Toowoomba or something, you'd pick up some sort of accent as well. Yeah, if you were there yeah. 10 years, you know. <laughs> it mine's not too bad. It depends, I think, how heated I get. Yeah. Like when I uh, when I go and speak around and do stuff, I think I get pretty in the moment. I, yeah. I'm sort of having like Vietnam flashbacks <laughs> for football. Alabama uh, flashbacks. I'm pretty into it and stuff. So <laughs> yeah. um, I think it comes out a bit stronger then. But most of the time, it's, it's pretty relaxed. I think I've traveled so many places, I couldn't pinpoint what the hell I sound like most of the time. <laughs> I really don't think my accents changed at all until I get on the flight from LA back to Australia and I hear the stewardess or something like that and I'm just like whoa you sound like you're out of a movie from Australia and I don't like it yeah yeah um super strong but most of the time yeah I, I don't really pick it up can you go back to the start I'm really interested to hear what the pathway is from you know playing a bit of park rugby in Capalaba to ending up playing American football like how did that transition start did you have a passing interest in it 
growing up or honestly no the only thing i ever saw was like you know like every other show would be like remember the titans uh, friday night lights <laughs> yeah the titans and i'm like oh this is wild basketball is my main sport i played that my whole life my whole yeah. family plays that and uh i had a few friends that were playing basketball with me that went to school with cavern and brisbane you know, obviously they noticed my girlish figure um, growing throughout high school and they were like, hey, you gotta come down and play football. And I was like, play gridiron. I was like, oh. I was like, my mom doesn't even want me to play rugby league. I don't know if she's gonna let me, yeah. let alone have the money, but, yeah. and then let me play gridiron. You know, Buy all the gear, it. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I'm watching the movies like, <laughs> at, the, at the time I was like, on dial-up internet watching the Dallas Cowboys defense and I was like man I don't know if this is for me but <laughs> I went down there I was like all right I get to you know go hit people not get in trouble I was like this sounds like right up my alley so I go down there and started playing a little bit fell in love with it um, purely just from like the aggression side and my skill set match and I was I was a big kid like I was this size when I was like 16 mm. but I could run and I was getting too tired trying to run playing basketball being, you know, yeah. 130, 135 at the age of 16. I was like, man, my shins are not taking the hard court no more. I was like, oh, I'll play football. It actually picked up quite rapidly. I was lucky enough to play the first year. I played really well. Obviously, I was just playing against little kids, essentially. Um, and I was just crushing kids, yeah. um, you know, breaking arms. I was yeah. knocking kids out, a bunch of different things. And then <laughs> I actually got the opportunity to play for Queensland uh, which was huge and a few college scouts saw me there and then I played for Australia um, against New Zealand down the AIS that would have been tough that again. yeah that would have been I, tough with the Samoan influence as well in, 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 in like in yeah in they, were, they were big man yeah. like the quarterback for New Zealand was like the same size as me yeah 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 so I was like this can't be good and I, I, on that Aussie team it wasn't a lot of size. There might have been like three or four of us that were like over like 115 kilos. You know, I went out there and I, I balled out. I pretty much, I think I, you know, I had some stupid stats. I was like, I was like playing with a 99 character on Madden. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was yeah. like blocking every kick. I was like doing everything. So <laughs> one of the guys from Arizona Western College, Jerry Dominguez, defense coordinator, he came out and was like a guest coach of this camp for Australia. Low key, I think they were just looking for punters. Yeah as most American teams do. And then they just stumbled upon me and they were like, who's this kid? Like I was already, you know, covered in tattoos. I was like 17. I was like super <laughs> aggressive, had like super like thick mohawk. I I honestly looked like I didn't give any fucks about anything. So I was like playing middle linebacker and uh, yeah, he sort of gave me the, the heads up that, you know, I'm doing pretty well. I have the body shape, obviously I'm, playing well enough I, he thinks I could have an impact in the US and at this point in time I was like yeah it's sort of like a not a fairy tale but it's like unknown like yeah. at this time 10 or so years ago 11 years ago if someone said oh you can try and make it to the NFL like and much of the um, reports that we got back as well when I started saying that it was like this is crazy like, this yeah. is impossible no one has done this yeah. ever um, so it was just like alright well I'll, I'll you know play with the idea a little bit and I remember I went back to my family um, who obviously know nothing about anything to do with football, about America, anything. You know, I'm going to try and go to this school and see what I can do and then, you know, maybe try and go play in the NFL. What a lot of people don't know is that junior college, Arizona Western, they actually didn't give me a scholarship to go over. I actually had to work three jobs and with my parents to pay for the first semester, which was like nine grand US or something for the the spring and the fall. Yeah. And uh, we actually decided and we've got enough money together, we paid for it. And then I had like $275 duffel bag. And then I had Jerry Dominguez and his phone number written in my passport. And then I left. Wow. My family had no clue. Never been anywhere. I didn't get anywhere. You went overseas with $275. He is later. Yeah. So I just left. <laughs> you know, I look back at it now and I was like, yo, that was, that was wild. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I remember getting to the airport in LA and I was like this is a movie like I, I don't even yeah. know I couldn't tell you where Arizona geographically was on the map <laughs> and I'm supposed to get there and so I get on this and Yuma Arizona is like the butthole of America is the worst place it's like so hot just nothing <laughs> but like a lot of farming this one tiny school it's like nothing it's like one mall Breaking um, Bad <laughs> yeah. man super close and then I was just like 
I get on this tiny plane like I'm flying on Thursday. Oh, and this like eight seater, and I'm like, oh, I'm about to die trying to fly to this desert. <laughs> I get to the airport in Yuma, look in the passport, call Jerry, picks me up, man. It's like 123 degrees Fahrenheit. I was dying. I was wearing like a jacket, and I was like, all right, it takes me to the dorms, and then everything sort of started from there. And um, yeah, I wasn't on scholarships. I had you know stuff all money. I was pretty much eating uh, you know ramen noodles and fresh air for about a year. And they said if I played well, if I if I showed the opportunities or the the headroom that I could get better, then they'll put me on scholarship. So, man, I put everything yeah. to it. Um, you know, a lot of the guys there are, are guys that are from Division One that got kicked out. Guys that are trying to make it to Division One. It's like I try and tell people it's like the longest yard. Yeah, we're not in prison though, even though it feels like it. But everyone's just trying to get out, and the harder yeah. you work, the more opportunity you can get out. So, I, I couldn't play with a lot of those guys, man. I got there, you know, six eight black dudes you know with a beard and like four kids that play the same position like everyone is big and strong and fast and everyone's played football you know their whole lives so you know i sort of drew a line in the sand and was like man i'm just gonna this is my only shot this yeah. is like a do or die you know and if you met me back then i would definitely die for that idea mm. i think that's why i was so powerful i sort of just outworked everybody if it was school if it was you know, running, if it was lifting, if it was drinking water, I was going to beat every single person. And I did. I did. I did everything. I, you know, I broke all the conditioning records. I lived in the weight room. I did nothing but, you know, go to school and work out. I guess it's the benefits of living in a real tiny town. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I played that whole year and I actually, I bowled out, started every game. You know, we won the conference. And um, by the end of the year, once everyone got ranked, in regards to like being able to get recruited to go to Division One, I, I was the number one player in the whole country. Yeah, right. Um, so as you can imagine, they put me on scholarship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this tiny university. So I, I actually started getting money then, not not money as in like actual money, but they started putting money towards my schooling and like yeah. dorm rooms and all that sort of stuff like that. So I was a little bit more relaxed, and then I played another year. And at the end of that, I was the number one player in the country still. And as you get, I was getting recruited by everybody. You know, the late Joe Paterno would fly out, talk to me on the phone from Penn State. Coach really? Saban came out multiple times, um, which is, like, you know, it's a cross-country flight just to see me. You know, they would stay for a few hours and then leave. You know, I think I had over 50-something offers. I pretty much could have went anywhere in the country. How do you navigate that as, like, no. you know, a kid who one year earlier didn't really know shit about America – how did you make like, no, my parents do nothing you know like i was trying to i would skype them you know what i mean yeah and um hey man, the most, the most famous to... college coach in the world just flew down to arizona west today to have a chat like how... man well you know it's funny i actually um i walked right by nick saban in the cafeteria <laughs> i didn't know who it was i walked straight by him and um everyone's like oh my god it's nick saban i was like who the hell is that i'm like looking around i'm like what does he look like i'm thinking i'm looking at nick saban thinking i'm about to see like someone with security or like yeah. someone looking you know super swole looking like yeah. a, you know a real solid dude it was just this real short white guy wearing a suit just with like this real strong boy and i was like oh it must be him and yeah no i met all the kiffins the, you know the ed orgerons i met the kirby smarts everyone there everyone flew out to sort of see me and it was crazy at the time. I knew nothing. You know, Joe Paterno called me on the phone, and he was one of the most famous football coaches in the world, Coach Penn State, who passed away. And um, I got off the phone, and I talked to my roommate, and he was like, who's that? I was, he was, I was like, Joe Paterno. I was like, do you know who that is? And um, he lost his mind. I was like, why? Who is it? I was like, oh, it was a guy from Penn State. I was like, oh, that's weird. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. But uh, my roommate at the time, Andrew Power, he was uh, he's from South Carolina big white boy from Myrtle Beach and um, he played a huge role in that for me we actually you know I remember my dorm room was just full of boxes just letters which just handwritten letters from all these coaches schools flyers you know superimposed photos of me with jerseys on and like <laughs> pictures of stadiums with me running around and like it was outrageous like it was just so much dead trees in my in my room from schools I was in like the middle this of is Arizona. too much for me to go through so I go to Walmart and I buy this big whiteboard and I sit down with Andrew, my roommate. And I just say, hey, let's, every time someone calls or we get a letter, we just write the offer now. And by the end, I had two whiteboards. I had to, you know, re-up on another whiteboard. And I started going through it and, you know, we're going through everything, you know, defenses, current coaches, like how many spots they got, like how many veteran in my position would they have. And, uh, 
you know, Alabama was actually one of the early ones, which was surprising. I think once Alabama sort of offered me, it was just like floodgates. Yeah. It was like, oh man, if Alabama needs this D tackle, he must be the man. So yeah. everyone just sort yeah. of flooded it. And towards the end of the junior college career, I started taking some trips around. I actually took a trip September 3rd um, against San Jose State to Alabama. Um, I went down there for my official recruiting trip and honestly, it blew my mind. Um, coming from a junior college where I was pretty much starving most of the time and like, you know, walking to Walmart yeah. to get stuff. And, Walk, you know, walking. Pretty, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, pretty, some pretty hood stuff. In the you know, Arizona man. heat. But, you know, it was a lot different. I went to Alabama and, you know, I love country stuff. I love a small town sort of feel. I'm not a real big city guy. First game of the season, see 110,000 people in the stadium <laughs> and then like another 150 to 200 outside just tailgating. <laughs> You know, I was the number one recruit in the country, so I was somewhat known, but I didn't think I was really known. I never really sort of bought into myself too much, and even just walking around, man, people would scream at me. In the stands, people had Australian flags because they knew that I was going to be in town that week. Really? People were screaming <laughs> everything. I was like, man, this is unbelievable. This is ridiculous. Every single person I met knew who I was right away. <laughs> um, the whole weekend, I was like, this is wild, and I was like, obviously... It was a lot of like real pretty southern girls. Everyone's mm. super nice. I saw the hospitality. I was like, this is amazing. And then, you know, I went and saw the facilities, met with all like teachers and strength coaches, lots of stuff. And, you know, I fell in love with the place. It was, um, it was a decision. It was sort of a split decision for me. It was like when I was taking these trips and sort of choosing where to go, it was like, do I go to a small school and like be the man, like a UCLA or like Hawaii or something? Do I go there and be like the absolute star? Yeah. Mm. And or do I go to like a big school like Alabama, Miami, LSU, and earn every second that I get the opportunity to yeah. play? If someone was going to write a book or do a movie about it, I was like, it'd be super lame if I chose the easy route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole time I was in the U.S., I just I just chased that adversity, and I was like, yeah, this has to be it. There has to be some sort of sunshine at the, at the other side of this. So, and I loved it. I loved Alabama, um, and they just lost the year before. And I knew Nick Saban wasn't going to lose two years in a row, so I was like, "This is this is a good personal, uh, personal bet to myself to be a part of something that's going to go the whole way." And then, yeah, I, I committed. I, I spoke to Coach Saban at the end of that trip, and I said, "Man, I said you don't have to say nothing." And I just said, um, "You know, he just said he'll look after me. He'll make sure everything's taken care of, and he'll do his best part in, in developing me into a a good man and a good football player." And I was like, "That's enough for me." That's so, yeah, I was like, I'll commit right here. So, and, right. Um, I mean, what you just said then, 110,000 people at your first game, 200,000 outside. That amount of people in itself is more than you'd get at every AFL and NRL match in one round. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, both, oh, co- both yeah. codes, every every stadium for That's every so match. so many people. One weekend in winter. How does it feel mm. to sign something like that? And money not be involved, you know what I mean? Like that's the college thing that puzzles a lot of people, particularly in Australia. It's like you're 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 entertaining. You are basically a mercenary in this scenario. Did they give you a car? Do you get anything? Like, is there is there? A, what do you get? Food stamps? Nah, or? So like, <laughs> nah. So the way it works, and uh, everyone always says that. You know, they're like, oh man, surely you're getting money. It was almost the exact opposite. You know, Nick Saban runs such a tight ship, and. You know, discipline and doing the right thing is so high, but also you're the number one team in the country. Yeah. You're the best players in the country. You're under like the tightest microscope of what people are looking at, trying yeah, to yeah. break you down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was wild, man. Like, you know, I've been to a few Broncos games, been to State of Origin. I've been, I feel like I haven't been to many AFL games, but yeah, it's just not the same. No. You, know, you walk into Brian Denny Stadium with 110,000, everyone is screaming. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, if I go to, I go to Suncorp, I can yell, and on the other side, I reckon I can hear something if they scream real loud. <laughs> At Alabama, I couldn't scream as loud as I can and hear myself. Yeah, right. Um, oh and, that, and we had to play and do all that sort of stuff. And it was just pure love. Like, you could feel from the fans. And, like, obviously, the fan base is very, very traditional. Um, and it's it's a way of life down there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's crazy. Man. I couldn't – as a, you know, 20-something-year-old – you know, from 18 to 22 year old to be around such, yeah, like tradition <laughs> and what it means, like how crazy people yeah. are. Like, man, people kill each other over a score of Alabama games, man. Like people, people <laughs> like, if you're from the state of Alabama or you go from the area where the University of Alabama is not 
Auburn University and you disagree with any other people about Alabama, like it's on yeah. from the jump. You know, yeah. if you come in and you're like, USC's better, like you expect to get punched or someone's going to throw a beer can in your head. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like if you, there's traditions, man. If, if Sweet Home Alabama plays and people aren't dancing on the table, something's wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just, I think it's so like, um, I guess raised into everyone. Where here it's like, you know, people from like New South Wales have come up and they're like, oh, I'm a Broncos fan now because yeah. I lived here and all yeah, that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Like, that happened in Alabama, man, you better go ahead and move right back to where you come from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just much more serious. And obviously, recruiting is this multi-billion dollar business, you know yeah. what I mean? And it was tough, honestly. Um, what were you living off? You know, we, like, you, you could... We get free, we, we have cafeteria, everything, you know, we're sponsored by Nike, so we get the whole fit up, yeah. everything. You know, a lot of the rules around that is, you know, if one person gets it, everyone has to get it. So we yeah. all have got a bunch of good stuff, being, <laughs> you know, the number one school in the country. Obviously, yeah. we get a degree for yeah. free, which is a lot more than most professional organizations in Australia <laughs> offer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously the alumni association is just super strong. Um, they take care of you. Uh, there's so much more that goes into it, but it is a big part of tradition and it's a big process, especially in football, um, of that lineage to be a part of, you know, great places and play for, you know, people would pay money to play the University of Alabama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I, all I had to do was just show up because I was good. But can you tell us, like, so you're getting fed, you're getting dressed. Like, you know, you could have had $200 in your bank account that whole season. Is that is that kind of how it is? I mean, you're definitely not making it. Yeah, money. pretty much. Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah no, no, you can pretty much live for free. Um, yeah. Like, we get, so you can either live on campus and you get, like, a small amount of money. And that was for, like, random things. Like, if you had, like, a phone or car or whatever. Yeah. If you lived off campus, it was a bit more. Obviously, yeah. you had to pay rent and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it was nothing. Man, I think, if I think back, now it's way more. It was like for me, maybe like five hundred dollars a fortnight, <laughs> and I was, and then like you know it's crazy. I think back, and I'm like getting five hundred dollars a fortnight. I'm watching myself on ESPN. You know, I'm like looking at Sports <laughs> Illustrated. I'm like doing all these media things, stuff like that. So it's pretty crazy. Um, but you know, it's gonna change. Yeah, um, yeah, that is changing now. They, yeah, well, yeah. I'm hoping they back pay. Yeah, because um, I'm <laughs> <laughs> it sounds a lot better than life. Man. Like everyone, everyone has to go through it, which was it was good. It, it plays a big role in, in building the team off the field, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah it sounds a lot better than being in the uh, young Broncos under Wayne back then. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, yeah, there's a bit more that goes into it than uh, I think uh, what happens in Australia. Yeah. yeah, outside football, I think. Well, there's more brown uh, paper bags Saban. in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Coach Saban does a good job. Uh, he's one of the best that I've been around to play for, coach with, and just know on a personal level that, you know, really develops players more than, um, you know, sort of just running them in and running them out. Now, you, you, you kind of went viral a few times. You kind of built a profile around your actual physical uh, performances not not necessarily on the field. At one point, you, you got up to 157 kegs. Like, that's how much you weighed at peak fitness. And yeah. you, you were videoed benching 270. What, it's almost double it. When, when did that transformation happen? Did that, did that happen college? Did that happen at, uh, you know, Arizona or Alabama? Or were you constantly building that up? Or, or, or did, that, did that happen when you reached the NFL? Yeah. No, so it sort of started when I was 16. Uh, for my birthday, I asked my parents to buy me a gym membership yeah. at Good Life. Actually, Good Life Morningside back in the hood. Yeah, yeah. And, um, Junction Road. <laughs> yes, sir. I started training there. I knew nothing, right? I used to buy bodybuilding magazines and I used to drink like whey protein 38 times a day. And I was just like lifting weights. And one of the things I did was I looked up all the combine scores and I looked up who was the strongest in college football. I looked up who was the strongest in the NFL. I looked up all the things they could do and I made sure that those were the goals I was shooting for, right? Yeah. And for me, it was like run under 540. It was like bench over 550 pounds. It was like squat over 550. It was like God. clean over like, you know, 140, 145. Um, and I was like, all right, this is reasonable. So that's all I pushed towards. And then I think uh, if you if you talk to anyone that has known me my whole life, they know I'm, I'm just like a, a weight room fiend. You know, I just, I love lifting. I love training. Um, I like pushing myself a lot um, mm. to points where most people don't like to go. 
Uh, so I just constantly got got stronger, and I was around a lot of guys in the U.S. who were just sort of the same. Mm. And I started to get around dudes who were stronger, you know. And it goes back to that work ethic thing. I was like, okay, this, this is a challenge. They didn't say anything, but they're challenging me because they yeah. don't think I'm strong enough. So um, yeah, I just kept getting stronger and stronger. And then I think my senior year is when I started really breaking all the records. That's when I benched 600 pounds, just 272. You know, I squatted like 675. Like how, how many reps could you do of uh, 600 pounds? Just one oh, big hua? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't think many people do reps of 600 pounds. So, uh, no, no, sir, not me. But um, And then I ran like a, you know, 479, 48, 40 in my pro day. So I was lucky enough to sort of have a little bit of natural ability, but also I had a work ethic out of hell. Yeah. Um, where did that come I from? I just love lifting. Torres Strait Islander and Murray background. Yeah. So was that, was sport in the family? I mean, obviously American football wasn't. Where did the... Uh... Nah, yeah, so both my parents played basketball yeah. and, um, you know, my little brother played basketball when he was younger as well. And um, sports is just dominating, you know. <laughs> they do play, age, they love basketball up north, don't they? Up, um, especially I think the they love it everywhere in Queensland. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere. But yeah, a lot, a lot. You know, Cairns type pants. Yeah. <laughs> everyone everyone that trickles down obviously is playing basketball and yeah. don't need a lot of equipment you know what I'm saying yeah. so yeah. Um, for me it was just like when I was younger my mom was a school teacher and um, you know it was sort of like get straight A's or be really good at sports I was like man let's do the sport thing that sounds real good <laughs> um, so I just started playing so I played everything you know I threw shot put I didn't that was the only thing my mom didn't want me to play was rugby league right. um, I played a lot of basketball pretty much my whole life until football and then I think the work I think just stemmed from being around so many high performing people and, and when I was younger and when I was going over there we faced so much adversity to make it happen as well as people doubting like uh, I look back and laugh now the people that said I would never do it or mm. the people that say it was impossible all those people the same people get photos of me and stuff when they see me and we had so much of that. And the whole time I went over there was not to prove anyone wrong. It was really just to prove my 15-year-old self and my yeah. family right yeah. that the things we did was worth it. And I kept that real close to me the whole time. You know, I used to I used to run extra, lift extra. I used to do stupid, stupid amounts of working out and, and training and pushing myself. And um, I, I just, I just in, internally, that was just the price. That was the yeah. price for me. I wanted everything I had to give up everything and I was the first person to be willing to do that do you see any other talent like that making its way through the Australian uh, American football grassroots or like and that kind of and, uh, inspiration because I imagine in my head the kids you were playing with in the park you know down in Redlands or or even at Queensland level or like they're, they're, they're the kids of American expats or they're just kind of like hobbyists right yeah, I mean, there's a very, very obvious. There's a particular man when I first started playing. There's a very particular type of people that played in played gridiron in Australia. I wasn't always the most athletic. Yeah, but there was a few, man. Honestly, there's been a few guys. I think you go over. It's not for everybody, mm. man. That pathway, especially if you if you do the long the long grimy route that I did, um, it's not for everybody. Mm. People realize that real quick. Like it's more than hard work. Like I said, there's a price. Mm. Um, and sometimes the price is everything. A lot of those guys, they get there and they think it's cool. Like, oh, I want to be suited up. I want to play in front of 110,000 people. I want to do that. But there's a whole bunch of other things that go in, <laughs> into doing that. Yeah. And um, it's not usually fun. Studies apart, like what was your degree? Uh, human sciences. So like moving towards strength conditioning. Yeah, right. Um, I, I actually got, well, it'd be like two. So I got associates in business from the first junior college. And then I did finish my 40 degree in human sciences. And it's, it's tough, man. Like I, I, I couldn't explain to people. Like you would go from working out in the morning, working out, class all day, practice, go to study hall, and like in study hall, like you're watching your replays on ESPN. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're just like, you know, I'm I'm like reading articles. Or like my tutors are like, oh, how was the game on the weekend? And I was like, dude, can you just teach me how to do this damn Pythagoras theorem right now? I really need this. You know? um, so it was real different, you know, and I think that's, I was lucky. I, I'm not a huge attention guy, you know, obviously I stand out like a mofo, but mm. uh, I never really bought into the hype of a lot of the stuff, including myself. And I kept pretty grounded uh, and pretty sheltered my whole, I guess, career. I didn't, mm. I, I do a really good job of not listening to people mm-hmm. and it paid off um, even throughout the study and stuff like that. I stay pretty focused on that. I, 
I had a 3.8 GPA. I was like Dean's List, President's List, All-American Academic, you know, lots of stuff. So a lot of people don't really give a crap about that. You know what I mean? But from an indigenous standpoint, yeah. you know, coming from Brisbane, you know yeah. what I mean? Like it means a lot. Um, you close the gap and then some. Man, just to hold a standard, man. Like yeah. um, I, I, I wanted everything and I wouldn't settle for anything less. And then my work ethic showed that. Um, and you did it all with face tats. You did it all with hey. face. You did it all with face tats. Man, I went to the White House three times with face tats. I don't know anyone else doing. I mean, I shook Obama's real soft hands three times. And you had Yolo um, tattooed on your head. Man, I, I did everything. You know, it's one thing. Boys, boys bring stuff up, and you know, they say how crazy it was. But I was, I was real the whole time, man. I told the truth nonstop. I did nothing but the things I wanted to do and the things I worked for, and. Um, you know, no one can ever really take that away from me. I think being so upfront with people, it sort of scares people that, you know, I just do what I feel and a lot of things. I wouldn't want to live my life any other way. You know, when I get old, I look back and all the work and all, you know, all the aspirations and, you know, all the doubt and all the awards and stuff sort of fade away. But, you know, when people talk about people that went to the U.S. for football, my yeah. name seems to be number one at the top most of the time. So um, it means a lot to me, you know, leading the way. I see a lot of these kids now and, you know, I'm still good friends with a lot of guys. You know, that Australian camp I played in, actually Jordan Berry was the kicker for that. Right. Uh, he's still in the NFL. And, you know, I'm pretty close with Adam Gottis. I trained with him a few times in Atlanta. Brad Wing, I, I haven't met him personally, but he was obviously over there at the time. And, you know, we were part of that crew. We, we man, I, I chopped the leaves. I chopped the cheese down to create the path that a lot of these yeah. kids are walking on. Yep. Um, and it means a lot to me, man, because it's an amazing opportunity for these kids. I would send every single one if I could. I just think it's 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 too much of a blessing not go over. I went over like from having nothing to you know having two degrees and being able to, to do all the things and uh, travel the world. I've been to the White House. I've met everybody. I've had dinner with Pharrell. I've done all these crazy things, man. Yeah. Um, and I'm just you know I'm just this young indigenous kid from Morningside. So you got you got two degrees. You got to meet all those people. Can you tell us a little bit about how it felt to finally make money out of all this shit? Like yeah. what, what happened there? You went into a draft. Few people use this word, but it's almost like slavery—the college football system, where you kind of, you know, very close, very close to it. Um, and then all of a sudden, now it's the time you managed to go through all this. You've gone through Arizona, you've gone through Alabama uh, without getting injured, and you're at the point now where it's time to actually go pro. Man, it's pretty wild. I actually did get injured. I got, you know, I had a few surgeries when I was at Alabama. Right. I just came back really quick. Yeah, I enjoyed a lot of the process of getting ready. A lot of the training stuff getting ready to go professional it was you know even from a young i guess journey point not not at one point what i was, was i thinking I'm, i need to go make this money yeah um, that never really popped into my head at yeah. any point um even when i was going through alabama i was just like man whatever like i'm just trying to every day i get to wake up i'm like this is a blessing let me just go do this work yeah and then you know the draft was coming along i was actually ranked really high i was like top three d tackle in the country coming out of the draft and then we play the SEC championship I actually really hurt my knee yeah, right. I do a little bit of damage in my knee uh, someone gets thrown into me from behind in the first quarter I take the second quarter off I come back and ball out in the third and fourth quarter. I go into the change rooms take some tablets get some shots I'm like let's ride so I play <laughs> third and quarter with no regard for my health or the future involved so I was like it's whatever I signed up to commit to the University of Alabama I mean, I'm pretty well known for this one game because of me coming back and I had some pretty big plays to help us win that. Um, and then we had two weeks to get ready for the National Championship. So all I did was rehab, train, get ready. We played the National Championship, started, did everything. Obviously, we whooped um, Notre Dame in Miami. And then, uh, yeah, then the downside of playing at Alabama is we get a really short offseason because we just play every National Championship. And that's the yeah. last game. So we yeah. have the shortest <laughs> amount of offseason. So I had four weeks to get ready for the NFL draft and I was like uh, for the combine and I was like this is no good so a week later after the national championship I had to have surgery on my knee have surgery clean everything up get everything ready start rehabbing right away so I can't do anything with combine um, just the mental side of things benched and then just stopped did the mental stuff did all the testing which is like excruciating three days of like hardly any sleep barely any food like wait they actually do mental testing like, like the SAS well, they do. They do the wonder leg, which is like a bit of a stitch up. Uh, it's like a modified like IQ type of thing. But so yeah. 
you have to meet specifically with each team um, or the ones that are interested in you. So I met with a lot of people. I was ranked pretty high and um, they pretty much put you on the board. So, you know, I met with, you know, Patriots, uh, probably a memorable one, you know, and, and Belichick and the D-line coach would just put you on the board. And they'll say, you know, drop a, um, you know, a two-tight offense, you know, QB and shotgun spread. Uh, we're running a 3-4 defense. X, Y, and Z is happening. Like, where's the nickel? What what, it, what, what, what would the defensive end have? Like, how would yeah. the three tech read that? All this sort of stuff. Yeah, wow. And you've got so to map it out that. on the whiteboard. Yeah, that was, that was an upside of playing Alabama. I, I know football now. Yeah. Um, so I, I knew a lot of those things that we had to do. And then a lot of the other ones is like general questions. Like, I remember going into um, speaking to Tom Coughlin from the Giants. And if you know Tom Coughlin, he's an older gentleman, clean cut. I guess conservative would be one of the words. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember him sitting him down and there was probably like 15 guys in the room. I'm sitting down and I'm wearing, I think I was wearing a tank top and some sweatpants. Um, <laughs> and he came up to me and sat down next to me. And he was like, tell me a little bit about yourself. And I was, I sort of gave him a little spiel. And he was like looking at me real closely. And he was like, so how many of these tattoos are gang related? <laughs> I was like, gang related? <laughs> I was like, I'm like, I'm from Australia, man. I'm like, no, nah. I'm like, these are like some traditional ones. This is just part of my my life and uh, he just kept harping on gang related things and I was like this dude is like trying to pin me as like a gang bang or something and I'm like dude I just graduated from college like I don't gang bang um, but it was it was real it was real intense man like the meetings would go to like three in the morning they would make you real tired and like try and drum you into like saying some stupid stuff and then they'll drug test you on the spot and then like most of the time I was like you're walking around half naked everyone's like you know it's like a big meat factory you know what i mean like dudes just like they want to see like they were like oh do a full squad or to be like oh you know jump and touch the room like it's just stupid <laughs> stuff they just try and get in your head um so that's then, yeah, so that was weird enjoyable. i mean honestly it was a blessing to be you know part of some <laughs> of the top players in the country to get invited but it's not something i choose to do once again um and then from there yeah i went into the draft and you know my family wasn't over here you know my family came over a few times um when i was in alabama playing I watched my first game and a few of my other ones my senior year. And then it was just me, man. I actually got the call when I was in the weight room at Alabama. I stayed in Alabama the whole time and trained to get ready. Um, I knew that I didn't really care about money or where I got drafted or anything. I just knew that it was my job to control my controllables. Yeah. And that was to be ready whenever I was called upon. How was your knee at this point? Yeah, it was good. It was fine, right? Yeah. So this is the downside. Like, I passed every physical. Everything was fine. And I was running... I did everything, did the pro day, did everything. That's when I ran my fastest. You can look it up on YouTube, man. I was moving. Yeah, then from there, draft day comes along. I'm, you know, my agents like, yeah, obviously have projections going the first round, second round, third round, whatever. Obviously end up falling to 137 in the fifth round. I was like, that's whatever, man, it's no big deal. Not really missing anything. You know, once I step in the door, we all starting from square one anyway. Yeah. So I just made sure I was ready, man. I worked out the whole time. They actually called me when I was working out. I took the call, spoke to John Snyder, spoke to Pete Carroll, spoke to Dan Quinn, who was a DC at the time. It was just like, yeah, I'm ready to go. And then kept working out. And then went and went and did my business. And that's how I've been the whole time, man. I never I did nothing. I'm just I'm just a hard working dude and um, that's what I showed when I was there and So what was it like going from like a university environment where the focus is is really on on you and your education to going into like the belly of a real big sports organization where your whole job is just to play football you live and breathe it seattle what was the transition you know, think, like honestly, this is a funny story but it was it was way easier mm-hmm. um you know playing at alabama playing with coach saban and the system and the discipline and the standard that is held at university of alabama is unrivaled it's unparalleled to anywhere i've been and uh i i keep that very close to me to this day i'm still very disciplined and I'm, I'm blessed to have some of the lessons and, and learn firsthand uh, from Coach Saban. Uh, when I actually got to Seattle, it was the exact opposite. You know, Coach Carroll is an amazing coach. You know, Dan Quinn, amazing coach. But the, the, the scene, the environment, the culture, it was black and white. Hmm. So I get, to the, I get to the first team meeting and, um, like, there was music playing. There was a basketball hoop. Like dudes were shooting around and like people were making a lot of noise. And I was just sitting there. I was like, my hands on my knees, like I was getting school photos. I was like, 
Yeah. I said, this is a trap. I said, they're trying to get me. They're going to try and trick me. I said, this ain't the NFL. Like These dudes aren't taking this seriously. I said, this can't be real. And I was like that for a week. And then Coach the coach Cal came up to me. He's like, why are you so uptight? I'm like, man, I'm like, this is just not what I'm used to and all that sort of stuff like that. You ever been to Alabama? Um, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, do you know Coach Saban at all? Like, this is like, I've never heard music in the whole building my whole time there. So I started to loosen up and obviously it was a lot better, but yeah, it was it was a lot different for me culture change wise because I was so used to like 10 minutes early is on time. Like I'm saying to do extra every day. And like people look at me like, what is this guy? Like this dude's like a, a robot or something. <laughs> um, but I, honestly, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, obviously having no school was a, a good part yeah, of that, yeah. being able to graduate and get that over and done with. But there is a lot of pressures that go along with that, you know, and it's a real, it's costly, you know, you get a lot of money and you actually have to pay for a lot of things. And like, you know, I'm paying this lady 200 some dollars, you know, almost every second day to come stretch around in my house before I go to practice. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm spending a lot of time pretty much just putting into my body and doing everything from blood tests to people making my food. I'm like taking all these crazy, I'm not really supplements, but I'm sort of, um, I'm getting tested so much. Everything has to be clean. And I'm getting this from this company and this and this company. And I'm like watching my weight and doing all these things. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice to have that focus, but it's tough because it's a lot of work, man. It's, it's unlike, uh, I don't think any sports really in Australia are at that level. Um, I speak, I speak to a lot. Yeah. Um, about on and off the field stuff and the standard of what I had to do was much higher. Oh, yeah. And, um, but, I, but it was, you know, it was much, uh, I guess, much more development based. Um, so I got better a lot quicker. I felt a lot better. And obviously, you know, a big part of playing the NFL is, is winning. Um, so to be around that culture um, in yeah. a different setting, in a different role, um, it was fun, man. I, I really enjoyed it. I was, you know, I was part of some of the best teams to play football and, the best part about being around those great teams is being around really good men. Um, and like I said earlier, I'd rather be a, a good man than a great football player. And I was lucky enough to be around a lot of guys that did both really well. And I get to, I got to learn and associate myself with those guys. And um, it was a blessing, man. Like not just the coaches, but the players as well. Um, a lot of professionals, a lot of, a lot of how to do things and a lot of how not to do things as well. Um, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. Mainly the schooling was, yeah less time consuming so I had a lot more free time can you tell us a little bit the NFL uh, recently has been pretty uh, you know harshly criticised for player welfare as someone who kind of experienced you know injuries due to your job and, and then you know of course you were diagnosed with cancer a bit later how did you feel that you were kind of looked after how do you feel like the institution responded to you um, to, your, to your welfare yeah it was different like once I had the first two knee injuries which were like out of the blue accidents had yeah. nothing to do with anything I was doing, uh, just bad timing and just sport in general. Those weren't things I, I, I had any negative energy towards. Yeah. Um, Seattle knew, you know, when I was healthy, I was balling, man. Yeah. Um, I was playing really well every time I was practicing and moving around well. Um, you know, any other person that would have hurt their knee once, they would have got cut right away. Uh, but they kept me there three years because every time I was healthy, I was at a level that was what they wanted yeah um but seattle did a great job man like even through the knee injuries the rehab the training staff at alabama um, at seattle were amazing um and then obviously to to the end point of, of of having cancer and sort of going through that whole process essentially with them yeah, you know right. they did everything they possibly could um i would i don't have a bad thing to say about any of that obviously i'm I'm a huge believer of, you know, like I said earlier, the price is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I signed up for all of that. Obviously, I didn't sign up for cancer, but, you know, I got <laughs> I got a little extra punch on my ticket. <laughs> you know, I was happy to ride that out. You know what I mean? People always yeah. people always ask me, um, you know, do I wish I would change things or would I have done? Whatever. I was at the strong – both times, all three times I got serious injuries, I was at my absolute peak. Yeah. You, 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 can, you probably could have hit me with a damn truck and yeah. I would be fine. Yeah. Um, but it was just like the, the consequences of the situation that sort of put me in a bad position. I think I had a good part, a good pathway. Sorry, uh, yeah. I don't think everyone has that same pathway in the NFL. Yeah. It's very cutthroat. Is not for everybody. There's a lot of um, not politics. But there's a lot of things you have to do to be involved in certain things. But in the end, it's a extremely tight knit brotherhood that everyone looks after each other. You know, still to this day, I'm very well connected um, yeah. throughout a lot, all the way up to the president of the Players Association. 
yeah. in Eric Winston in the NFL. But yeah, I don't have a bad thing to say about any of that compared to a lot of the other professional organizations that I've been around enough to work with. <laughs> well, there seems to be two ways for Australians to get into the NFL, and that is to grind it out your way, like you and Colin Scotts, all those guys, you know, just grinding it out, going into college, working your way up. Or you just wake up in the morning and you decide you want to go and play for San Francisco. <laughs> How does it make you feel when, you know, having gone through all your entire journey and then you've got people who turn around and say they want to play in the NFL just off the bat? From, you know... Yeah, yeah man. I, After six seasons in the rugby league... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's real interesting, man. I'm not a huge fan of it. Like, I'm a huge fan of people following your dreams and that sort of stuff, but um, I do believe there is a process towards achieving some of them. To the guys that have gone over, like, it's been, I'm sure it's been an amazing experience for them, and I think that they sort of got a real quick adjustment to what the different standards are <laughs> to the NFL compared to other organizations yeah. on and off the field. Um, like I said earlier, playing football, Outside being a punter, don't get me wrong, you know, like guys like Nathan Chapman down a pro kick and stuff, sending to a college, amazing. I love it. Um, great opportunity. But dudes who just want to jump, skip the line, um, not a huge fan for two reasons. Obviously, it's super unrealistic. When I try and tell kids, I'm like, yo, go over, follow your dreams. I'm telling follow me, go get a degree, yeah. meet people, you know, yeah. discover what you want to do in your life and play football is, is the price. <laughs> That's a great opportunity, but like trying to get these people, I get messages all the time. The amount of professional AFL players, professional rugby league players, rugby union now, um, the message me like, hey, do you know anywhere I can go over and do? I'm like, no. I don't know. You can't like, code like, hop to NFL, mate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, if I did, I would have started a stupid business like all the other people trying to do it and take professional guys over. Yeah. yeah. Not that I, I, I never would do that. Um, but. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, yeah, just purely because it makes it unrealistic for a lot of people. It sends the wrong message. Yeah. As well as it really hurts Australians that are over there in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know how many times, like me, Adam Godsis, Jordan Berry, Brad, we, we were over there. I was there three years until Jared Hayne came over. I was actually more. I was in the NFL for a few years, and um, all these guys started to come over. And I was like, it get, a, a lot of the guys that were there already Australian, like we were getting slammed by, you know, jokes people talking crap the whole time about all these other Australians coming over. And I'm like, <laughs> it's sort of like coming at yeah. a different angle here. You know what I mean? Like he's making us sort of look bad and we're, we've been here. I'm a huge fan of dudes trying to follow their dreams and do that. But I just think that that pathway for the guys that have previously done it, you know, like Val and stuff like that, you know, there's a, there is a lick of opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Very, very small opportunity. And everyone's you know like yeah these guys are super athletes i could go to walmart and find guys that have played more football and are just as athletic you know the population is yeah too much yeah right so many people i just think with guys with huge amounts of hype that want to push the hype over there and do stuff at least you know take a path or take an avenue where i might be able to teach other people yeah besides chasing unrealistic dreams or pushing outside the bubble like no kid is going to be able to have enough money to go train img it's impossible yeah. No indigenous kids going over there. Yeah. Mm. But if you tell kids, you know, working hard and, you know, stick to their morals of the things they want to do and then take this process to get over there instead of just jumping all this other stuff, mm. it'd be a lot better. But, I, you know, I've met a bunch of guys that have wanted to go over and do that sort of stuff. And the first thing I tell them is like, A, don't. <laughs> uh, and B, there's a lot more that goes into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can, the speed is a different speed. I was there. I played with some of the best coaches and players in whoever will play. And every day till my final day, I was still learning nonstop. Yeah, yeah. Nonstop. And I was like, man, I'm still like, the whole time I felt like I was behind. I need to get better. I need to get better. And then I see these guys go over and then I watch their training film. I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> I was like, maybe I, you know, I feel like I took the right approach and I got the most out of it. I got a degree. I experienced everything. And I see a lot of these guys sort of, not just the ones that you see on the media, yeah. the ones that have tried and didn't get as far as those guys. Jesse, just, can you can um, you tell us? Can you tell us? I mean, we obviously know Jared Hayne, but um, we're going to edit this out just to protect yeah. everyone's contracts. But can you tell us some of the names of the uh, of the DMs you get? 
<laughs> oh man, I, I couldn't tell you that. Like I, uh, I just see the verified ones. I, I, I work closely with the NRL every now and again. I, 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 whenever I would go and speak at like different teams and stuff, I would get a lot of guys right after message me. <laughs> DM yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't know a yeah. lot of the players. Like, yeah. Honestly, yeah. they're 19 years old. Mm. Yeah, when, like I was like, who is this guy? They're verified. You know, they post. I can just tell by like their first few slides of their IG of like, you know, they're sponsored by um, a Mazda in their local area. They play for like some Sydney-based team or they do something. Um, but like, even when I was in the NFL, I didn't know who Jared Hain was. Yeah. Like, I, I've been gone out of the country for like five, six years. Everyone started hitting me up, and I was like, "Who are these guys? They were like rugby players." I was like, "I've never seen these people in my life." You know, I, mean, I used to get questions all the time, like, "What do you think of this guy?" I was like. I don't even know who that is. You know what I mean? I He's from tell you, Parramatta. Who's my state of origin, man? Like, I haven't been in the country in seven years, so um, it's going to be tough. But, yeah, it's it's real different, man. Like, a lot of AFL players went over. A few was in when I was in Seattle, a few came and worked out in Seattle. Um, and I could tell as soon as, as soon as they rocked up, they had, like, kind of shorted. Because when they work out guys, they all wear the same stuff, right? And these AFL players, they must have rolled their shorts up because they were tall. They had short shorts on already. I was like, that dude has to be from Australia. I was like, his shorts are way too short. Like, yeah. There's no dude in the US wearing shorts like that. And then I saw him kick it, and I was like, yeah, that dude played in the NFL for sure. And yeah. he did. He did. Yeah. yeah, I don't recommend it as a path for people to go over, that's for sure. Yeah. Now, lastly, Jesse, uh, we're exhausted. I'm, I'm exhausted personally listening to that workload that you've kind of um, experienced over the last 12 years. Two degrees, first Australian to win a Super Bowl ring. Was there any time for partying? In Alabama, Seattle, how was that? Just you know, you can summarize with that. Yeah, there was, there wasn't a lot of time, but there was a lot that got done. Um, Hell yeah! You know, I was lucky enough to win two national championships. The first one was in in Louisiana, New Orleans, which is you know, a hotel was on Bourbon Street, so I was pretty wild. And then the second one was on South Beach in Miami, and I stayed the Fountain Blue in Miami. <laughs> Um, and it was pretty wild. And obviously, we went to two Super Bowls as well. One long, one the first one, lost the second. Um, so I've had a pretty wild time of, you know, I, I don't drink. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't start drinking until two months ago. Mm. And it's only because I was like drinking whiskey mm. like an old man. Till that day, I, I never drank alcohol my whole life. Yeah. So I didn't really, I wasn't really, you know, yeah. in the position to get in trouble most of the time which was good not Dennis uh, but yeah, it's, it's, nah. it, it, a lot of crazy things i try and tell people like the university of alabama with like fraternities and sororities man it's like a movie um, <laughs> i couldn't believe it until i, I live some of those situations yeah. off the field and um yeah i was just lucky enough I, I made it out unscathed and uh and i'm lucky enough to uh to still be here today good stuff thanks for joining us um you're in good health at this moment yeah, yeah, I had a few health troubles uh, last year. Yeah, yeah, like I said, I just trying to, to refocus my energy back on, yeah, feeling better and doing things I want to do, not so much things that just to keep me busy. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Wash your hands. Make sure you don't get coronavirus. Is the last thing you need. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm trying to keep this 1.5 thing for the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm just gonna call it space yeah. from now on. Yeah, let's just do zooms from now on. Thanks for joining us, uh, Jesse. Thanks. No worries. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm. 